You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. I invite you to stand with me this morning as we read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, starting in verse 51. Hear the word of the Lord. When the days drew near for him, which is Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and he rebuked them. And then he went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit For the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord from the Gospel of Luke. Thanks be to God. Well, I've got a question for you. You can feel free to respond to this one. I wonder what the oldest place is that you've been. Now, think about this. It could be a lot of things, it could be the place where your parents met, it could be the town where your mother gave you up for adoption. It could be your grandfather's farm. It could be ancient Greece. It could be Santa Fe. What's the oldest place that you have been? Niagara Falls. Falls, A natural wonder of the world. Great. Somebody else. The The Alamo in San Antonio. Yes. That's right, the, the oldest house in the United States. We got one? Yellowstone. Yellowstone. That's right, another natural wonder. One more time, I didn't hear. St. Augustine. The Grand Canyon. We could go on and on, right? I mean, somebody mentioned Santa Fe, so you could go to Santa Fe. You could even go north to Ghost Ranch to Georgia O'Keeffe's ranch and see the different mountains that she watercolored. Or you could go into the archaeological dig that they found evidence of people living for 10,000 years in that place. It's breathtaking. Maybe not as breathtaking as Yellowstone and Niagara Falls because those have been there even longer. Well, we're on spring break. We, our students at least, are on break. I'm not on break. I, 
I think the closest thing I'm going to get to spring break is maybe this shirt. This shirt. It's kind of the biggest trip that I could go on today. But I want you, and you've heard me ask for a couple of weeks, to share whatever you're doing, wherever you go. Even if that's Monday, you're staying put, you're doing your thing because it's tax season, right? There are things to be done. You can't escape. But whatever you're up to, show us your vista, show us your view of where you're going. Pictures maybe of friends. Take a selfie. Be it, let it be silly, let it be simple, maybe, uh, who knows? Now, the idea behind these pictures is not for you to feel jealous of what other people are getting to do, because we're here, right? And that's kind of a common thing with social media. You see what other people are doing, and even though you're having a great time right where you are, psychologically you start to be wistful and longing for where they're at. That's not what we want. We want as a community to celebrate the various places that God is sending us and to pray. Pray for the joy, pray for the, the obstacles that will happen as people go on different trips and travel around. The trip that we're on with Jesus here is quite a trip. And for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be doing is looking at this journey of Jesus. Someone stopped me, a Joe did, on the way in and said, I read your sermon text. That's some heavy stuff. That's for sure. This trip with Jesus is quite difficult. It's hard. You know, we look around, we look and see who's with Jesus. We have the 12 apostles traveling with Jesus. 70 other committed disciples with Jesus who will be sent out. We have some uh, religious leaders who have Jesus under surveillance. And Massive crowds of people all gathering around, and Jesus has been preparing them, preparing them for a trip. And as I think about this trip, one of the first things that I think about when I go on a trip is what books I'm going to take. And I had a thought this, this week. What if all of my physical books, all of my digital books, are gone, and I can only take one book with me on a trip? What would I take? Okay, yeah, okay, everybody gets their gold stars. Say the Bible, all right. Brownie points, yes, gold stars. Okay, granted the Bible, that's, that's one, you know. But let's say you couldn't take the whole Bible for whatever reason. Maybe uh, you're in prison, maybe you're restricted on space, you could only take one book of the Bible. And so I, I thought about that. You know, maybe I'd want to take a gospel if, if I was forced on space, then maybe you take Mark because it's short. If it is truly just one book, maybe I squeeze Luke in because it's the longest one. And maybe I could kind of throw in part two and get Acts. Maybe they wouldn't care about that. Or maybe it would be an epistle like Philippians or something theologically heavy like Romans. You'd want that one in your toolkit. Well, what if you only could have a chapter for whatever reason, maybe it's all that you could scroll down. Maybe phones are gone, they're vaporized, and you just get a chapter. Would it be Ephesians 2? I put down the chapter that Jimmy read to us today from 2 Peter 1. That's a great one. Romans 12? Well, would it be 1 John 3 or 1 John 4? Those would be pretty good, but they're short. I think if I had to pack one, 
If I knew I was going to be starting a church, if I knew I wanted something to hang on to, it might be Luke chapter 9. And I've never thought this before, it just struck me this week, and I'll probably change my mind in a month. But if I could have Luke 9, 10, and 11, there's a lot that's there. A lot that happens in this trip that we learn about Jesus and that we learn about following Jesus. Maybe I'd want to throw in my bag the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But if I just had one chapter, I might start here with Luke 9. Because in these chapters, Jesus is preparing his disciples for a trip. He's been getting them ready. We've been hearing stories from Jesus' lips. We've been learning teaching from him. We've been seeing the conversations that he has with spirits, with religious people, with scholars, with poor people, with women. We see these interactions, and Jesus has been getting them ready for a journey. And here, as Jesus prepares them, he gives two descriptions of what he's going to be up to. What he's going to do. In in Luke chapter 9, we get these predictions of where he's going and what he's about. There's two of them. At least three will come in the whole gospel. But I want want you to look at the second one. Don't worry, we'll look at the first one in a minute. This is a part that I haven't read. But if you'll look back just a few verses earlier to verse 43... There it is. And they were all astounded at the greatness of God because he'd just done a healing. While everyone was amazed at what he was doing, he said to the disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands. There it is. They're astounded. They are astounded at the majesty of God. And Luke tells us they are astounded at Jesus. This is equating Jesus with God. And they're ready. But they don't know what's going on. They don't understand. They they just kind of nod their heads and say, okay, yes, Jesus, we'll buy the tickets. We're ready to go to Jerusalem. But they don't ask what? They don't understand. I mean, because what Jesus says is, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be let go. And they're like, okay, well, let's go. That's what we'll be about too. You know, whenever you travel with God, when you're a follower of Jesus, it's kind of like that. The journey that you're on will blow your mind. Sometimes we get things we expect, sometimes we get things we don't expect, but it's guaranteed that the journey with God is going to be one that is unimaginable. You just cannot fathom what will happen when you travel with God, because God's way through this life is quite profound. Well, sometimes trips feel like they're a little bit of a setup. Uh, True story, I may have told you this one before, but Donna played kind of a mean trick on the kids one time. She said, hey, kids, do you want to go to the Abilene Christian Campus Center uh, bookstore to get some ice cream? And they said, yeah, 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 we want, to go to, we want to go to ACU, we'll go to the bookstore, we'll get ice cream. And what they were doing is they were giving away ice cream 
to give flu shots. <laughs> so they get there, you know. ACU is all about the shots and the rebounds and, you know, some other things for those of you that are paying attention. So they go and they get this mean trick. Mom, we're getting ice cream, but we have to have the shot. Now, I will say that, we're, that occasionally we're good parents, too. So I'll give you a real one that's better if you're on a trip with your kids. We were taking our first big road trip, and it, we were in a Toyota Cam Camry, so we didn't have a whole lot of room. And we were kind of worried about how young the kids were. And so Donna gave each of the kids a roll of quarters, which is a lot of money. And they could keep those quarters to do with whatever they wanted to. But if they whined, or if they fought, or if they had a bad attitude, we would take one of those quarters away over the duration of the trip. Man, that was great. That worked out really well. A win for everyone, because they had something they could hang on to. And we were able to avoid whining and bad attitudes. Well, in some ways, this trip that Jesus is on feels like a setup for the shot. Where you want ice cream, you're with Jesus, you're with God, you think you're going on this journey that's going to be something powerful, and yet it feels like a switch. Well, I really only have one point today as I unpack this powerful set of stories that we've just read, and that's this that following Jesus is the best way to go through life. It really and truly is. And I say that to insiders, I say that to outsiders. When you attach yourself to God, you are attaching yourself to something that is beyond your imagination. And I know I'm biased, because I've been in this game since conception, growing up in a ministry home. And I know that I'm biased, but I, I would welcome anyone to tell me about their religious figure, their wise person that guides their life. I won't try to convince you of Jesus. I just want to hear what yours is, of who you would wish to follow, because we can learn a lot from one another. Tell me what your alternative is. Who is that better leader? Well, in this text that we've been looking at, that we've been dancing around, a fog of confusion kind of settles over this trip. Jesus has been telling them where he is going and what the destination is, but they're blocked. They can't quite see. They are thrown back. They are astounded by Jesus, and they are definitely on the Jesus train, but they're a little unclear about where those tracks will lead them. Here as they get close, Jesus wants to go to Samaria, and he wants to have hospitality there. Now, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. Samaritans were attached to, that was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. So these are brothers and sisters. But they fell first, and they had a lot of rivalry with the Jews. And even though the, the hate was shared both ways, Jesus' ministry was one that was done to the Samaritans. He didn't avoid them. And the apostles see the rejection that they get from Samaria. And they are really in touch with their power at this point. God, do you want us, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from God on these people and consume them? They can't handle the rejection. They can't handle what's going on. Have you been around Christians or religious people that are like this? that are uncomfortable with rejection, uncomfortable with difference, uncomfortable with conversations about hard topics, who have no room 
in the fortress of their airtight beliefs or practices to engage in difficult religious chats with one another. Well, Jesus doesn't rebuke the Samaritans who refused him. He rebukes his disciples. That seems strange to me. But Jesus tells them, hey, you better get used to rejection. You better get used to being oppressed. And if you're worried about someone saying no, you're not going to make it. Well, then we get three people that do accept Jesus, which is kind of a breath of fresh air because we were almost in a firestorm of of calling down fire on this group of people. But then one by one, these followers line up. And the first follower is very positive. Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And again, Jesus says, well, look, if you want to be homeless, that's fine. Come with me. I don't have a place to lay my head. Animals are more cared for than I will be. Here it is again. Jesus gets this positive response, but he gives this teaching, this rebuke that says, hey, it's going to be a lot worse than what it seems. And then the second person comes and says, oh, basically in the same spirit, I will follow you wherever you go, but first, first let me go and bury my father. Well, that's a reasonable request. This is one I can relate to. Life is not easy, right? I've had to bury my own father in November, and you allowed me to go and be with my family during that time. This seems like a very reasonable request, and it's one that bites me especially hard. Because the ritual of burying someone, of saying goodbye to someone, is quite important. It's spiritual, because it's giving attention to God. It's even social because you have to do something socially with a body. You can't just leave it around. Something has to be done with it. Couldn't he just let them go? The third guy comes and says, in the same spirit of letting me bury my father, can I just say goodbye to my family? Jesus says, no. Don't turn back from the plow. No, you gotta come. Now, this is hard. I mean, saying goodbye, that wouldn't take much time. There's not as many rights associated with that. And I've really sat with this for obvious reasons. For Jesus to refuse the burial, this was important for this group of people. It's important for us to take time out to say goodbye, to grieve. In fact, surely Jesus knows how Genesis ends. The first book of the Hebrew Scriptures, it ends with Jacob, this one called Israel, who makes Joseph, his son in Egypt, promise, take my bones out of here. Take my bones to Canaan. And Joseph goes and begs to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, yes, you can go and bury your father. And then at the end of Joseph's life, it's just a few verses later, we know it's some time later, Joseph says to his family, Please take my bones out of here. That's how Genesis ends. And it's 150 years before Joseph's bones are moved by Moses himself. Hanging in the promise of bearing a father is spiritual business. But Jesus is calling a level of commitment that goes much deeper. Much deeper than the rituals of letting the body decay 
and coming back a year later and gathering up the bones, yes, I know it's a little gross, but putting them in a box for more permanent burial. Jesus is calling us to the utmost extreme, and it's puzzling. It's puzzling because this is not spring break material. This is not pack up your RV and let's go see. I mean, I know PD, he's going to go somewhere where he can wear flip-flops. Lawrence, he's going to go somewhere where he can see a mountain. James Parrish is probably content just to plan an RV trip, to just think about what retirements look like. Now, now Todd and Chris, they're just going to keep things going, right? These are guys that are, are, are like us. <laughs> no, all of them are. All of them are. But this is not a spring break type passage, right? Do you get what I'm saying? Where we just don't see what this is like. A lot of hints about Elijah. Elijah who called down fire. Elijah when he called Elisha and told Elisha, well, yes, you can go back and say goodbye. But here with Jesus, he ramps it up. Which brings us to another of the descriptions that Jesus gives about what he's about to. So flip back again to chapter 9, verse 22 this time, because he's even more descriptive. Then Jesus said to him, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Ouch. Take up their cross and follow me. This is right after Peter has confessed that Jesus is the king, that Jesus is the Messiah. And what Jesus says to them is, shh, don't tell anyone. You just pick up your cross and you follow after me. They get the job title correct. They get the job description incorrect. It's much like saying, yes, I am the CEO of Amazon. That title would be correct for someone, formerly Jeff Bezos. And my job description is waiting for the burger to get properly brown before flipping it to complete the cooking of the burger. Those things don't line up. And Jesus' description of his identity and his job description don't match up. And the disciples are just as confused as us because do you know what they've done in this chapter? They've had a fight, a blowout, about who is the greatest. They've been ready to call down fire on someone who is not with them. Someone who has rejected them. Someone that is not a part of their group is casting out and doing powers, deeds of power. Someone that's not bought the same block of room and hasn't bought the same tickets and they want to stop him. And Jesus says, no, don't stop him. They are wrapped up in a whole different conversation entirely. And so I look at it and I'm like, what am I to make of this? What do we make of this at spring break when Jesus seems to be rebuking his insiders and still being welcome to the outsiders? I think what Jesus is doing is several things. In one way, he's deepening the level of following him, whoever they are. He's deepening this level of following by those that reject. He doesn't obsess about them. He goes on his mission and continues. He's deepening the level of followers for those that are close by by pressing them, by encouraging them to grow, to not be threatened by those that live a different kind of life, but to be drawn into the power of God's love. 
There's something there for, for those that have felt exclusion from the love of God and for those that feel close to the purposes of God. But maybe the biggest thing for me, the biggest way that I think Jesus is preparing us, that may enhance the first one of deepening what it is to follow, is showing us that God understands that he will be dismissed. That God is a God and a leader who understands that he will be rejected. That God, in the form of Jesus, shows us that God is ready and prepared to be betrayed, to be handed over to the authorities that he put in place, to the power structure that bears his very name. That God shows that kind of restraint and that kind of a love and is willing to take a trip that few of us could ever imagine taking. And he shows us, he shows us the logic that makes us think about our lives a little differently. To not be worried about who is the greatest, but to follow him like a child. To not be bickering about who's on our team and who's not on our team, but on doing what is good. To not obsess about who has not given us basic hospitality, who has not treated us well, and be ready to burn them. And even to be okay with those that say, you know, not for me right now. I'm not going to be a part of this. It doesn't make sense. The truth of following this God is what's true of every God. So if you choose not to follow Jesus, one thing that you have to deal with and contend with is that all things rise and fall on the master that you serve. And if that master is going to be your job, if that master is going to be your family, the boss, money, pleasure, all things about your life will rise and fall on how you have served that master. If you're concerned about your appearance, if you're concerned about who thinks what about you, that master will lead you, and that master will lead you not well. It's for these reasons that I think following Jesus is best, because Jesus shows us a God that breaks our expectation, blows up our norm. A God who is willing to self-surrender, to sacrifice, and to show us that path. Now, God doesn't call you to destroy everything about who you are, especially the fact that you are one made and loved by God. God will call you to leave some things behind. Will call you to abandon some priorities that you've had in the past, to even leave what you know and what you think you know and what provides comfort, to even become a servant, a participant in the mission of God, as 1 Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 1. But this God, this God is relentless in his love for us. He is relentless in his love for all people. And he is bringing us and bringing this world to the completion that he intends for it. And it is good, and it is pleasing. Let's pray. God, thank you for the ways that you jar our expectations and throw us off, especially through the words and actions of Jesus. Father, thank you for being a God who is okay with being dismissed. You will let people choose the course of life that they want in this life. Father, thank you for making your way the most compelling way that there is. 
And thank you for what that has meant for many of us, many millions of people who've walked the face of this earth following Jesus. Would you help us and empower us to be your people? Through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, as one God now and forever. Amen.